Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. For me, a retreat is a transformative travel experience. So it's a travel experience that has a certain degree of structure and intentional, meaningful experiences. It is about traveling not just without to see a new place, to go to a new location, but also traveling within. It can be a group experience or retreats can also be solo, but they are curated, they're intentional, and they intentionally take you out of your comfort zone into learning or evolving into something new. That was today's guest, Nina Butler, who has used travel in her own life as a means for transformation, going from a high school dropout to working and sailing around the world on private yachts at 16 years old to eventually getting a PhD in philosophy, becoming a yoga instructor, and launching her business, InRetreat.co, which crafts immersive, transformative travel experiences designed to open the mind and expand the heart. Figuring out how to harness the power of travel to transform is what she does. And today, you're going to hear how you can do that for yourself as a solo traveler or how you can facilitate a retreat for a group. It's all coming right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out. Letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. And look, every trip doesn't have to transform your life, but somehow, sometimes, they can't help themselves. And there can be those trips that kind of sneak up and unexpectedly create this transformation in your life. And sometimes you want to set the framework for that. You perhaps want to set some intentions around going into a retreat type setting on a journey and being able to come out of it with perhaps the next version of yourself, whatever that means to you, or some insights or some direction for what you're planning on doing next. A lot can come out of these types of things when you have that intentionality behind it, which is something that Nina talks about today. 
Some powerful concepts she shares in this conversation, the gap of potential and neutrality that can free you from your thoughts. Talk about fostering gratitude for difficult experiences. Just a lot going on. And Nina's story, which is amazing, as you heard at the top, going from a high school dropout to working on private yachts and traveling the world. Plenty to unpack. I know you're going to love this conversation. Stick around on the back end. I've got a trivia question. How many schools of philosophy do you think there are? The answer contains a serendipitous travel twist. One last thing, zero2travel.com slash newsletter. Free weekly newsletter goes out. You can sign up over there for that. And Nina's website, inretreat.co. You can check out her work there. Now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Nina, and I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Thanks for listening. One, one more question. Yes. If if we're talking, and I realize that I've gone off on a tangent, you're obviously opposed to editing everything, so I can say... Oh, we love tangents here. Okay, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a tangent. I, I can get very carried away on one you know, one minor sideline aspect and then have to, like, haul it back. So I can kind of say, okay, back to the back to the question, and you can edit stuff out, right? You're going to edit. This is, I'm not editing any of this. This is, it, this is happening right now. You're actually in the show right now. You're screwed. <laughs> no, I mean, you're a tangent kind of gal. We, yeah. like, we like tangents here. Okay. The, the thing about the podcast is there's no uh, limit to the conversation, right? Although we do have some things to talk about today, about retreats and transformative experiences in the retreat setting. The advice you're going to share here with all your experience, which we'll get into in a minute, is going to really apply to a couple different people. One, the person that um, wants to like plan maybe these experiences, either as a business or for their friends, which is also a really cool thing to be an organizer. Or you know, you can, I think, think of this as a solo traveler as well. If this is something you want to consider going on or something, you may want to take some of the advice you share and apply it to your own trip. So you can create some of these frameworks for yourself as a, as a solo traveler as well. Anyway, I should say you're a new friend, and I want to formally welcome you to the show. So, Nina Butler, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you, Jason. So lovely to be here. <laughs> you mentioned uh, your company. We can just let people know where they can find your work because you run retreats. You're a yoga instructor, and you facilitate these transformative experiences, and you've been doing this for a while. So let people know where they can find you. Yeah, so the website is inretreat.co. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I've been uh, teaching yoga for 15 years. I also um, have a PhD in philosophy. So I apply experiences in both thinking, structural um, thinking, and creating ways in which people can get out of their minds, open their minds, and, um, and, and think in their bodies. And you also bought me a cinnamon bun. I did, Thank yes. You. And so that's a way in which your tummy, tummy can think now for you. <laughs> I should uh, describe the setting. This is a pleasure because I don't always get to do in-person interviews. We're sitting here together at a cafe in downtown Oslo. Beautiful day. It's lovely. So th thank you for meeting me here. I'm sure people detect an accent. So you want to let people know where you're from because you have a really interesting, to me, as a guy who grew up in the suburbs in Philadelphia, suburban kid, you have a really interesting background and childhood experience. So yeah, 
Thank, yeah. um, so I'm uh, from South Africa. Grew up in a place in South Africa most people have never heard of, which is legitimately called Welkom. Welcome, um, and it's in the middle of the middle of the middle of the country. Pretty much nothing there other than um, mines, gold mines, and and millie fields, cornfields. Okay. Um, and uh, my parents are a mix, a melange between um, English, Irish, and Swedish okay. um, immigrants to South Africa. And I grew up and in South Africa, and I left in first left in 2005 to work on yachts. I dropped out of school um, at about 15, and then did my own A levels correspondence um, through the British International College, and then went to work on yachts in the Mediterranean, which was way better than uh, the like, last like year of school. Like most 16-year-olds, yeah. right? <laughs> Just so much better than uh, staying in school. And um, yeah, and then that led to other experiences in culinary, um, viticulture, and other travel experiences, including quite a lot in New Zealand, working on vineyards in New Zealand. And so I was that for a couple of years and then went to university back in South Africa. Um, and that that turned into a longer academic project. And in 2017, when I had finished with that and decided I did not take myself seriously enough to be an academic um, and wanted to be part of the real world, I started my own business, which was combining my love for yoga um, and travel. And it was um, in uh, enabling yoga teachers around the world to start to set up their own online business, an online platform to help them to share online videos. And I know from a post-COVID world, you're probably like, oh, wow, how original. <laughs> but, uh, but in 2017, there wasn't, um, there, were, there, were, there wasn't a lot of that. So yeah, that, started, that led me to Amsterdam, to the startup world in Amsterdam. And then as business projects often do, um, there were a couple of turns on the, uh, in the road and um, that flowered into a retreat business. So instead of people doing yoga online from different places, it, were, um, it is in-person immersive experiences yeah. in different places. I mean, okay. It's not every day I talk to a high school dropout who has a PhD in philosophy. <laughs> is that, I mean, because you... You dropped out of school. How did that go over with my parents? Yeah, terribly. Um, do you have any siblings? I do. I have two older brothers, and my oldest brother is very A-type, and he um, loved school. And I feel like it was the greatest gift he ever gave me was for him to love school and thrive at school because the pressure by by the time I because um, you were the third. Time, I was the third. Yeah, that's and when so, everybody's tired of parenting. Exactly. My parents were just like just slip under the radar. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I'm very strong-willed, so it's my mother says now you have to know your child, and yeah. there was no point in in fighting and arguing with me. Um, and the compromise was that I did the ONA levels through the British International College, so a correspondence, so that I did get a school certificate, school leaving certificate, um, even though I dropped out of formal school and I was in boarding school remember so because my parents lived in the middle of nowhere I was sent to an all-girls boarding school that's um, that's kind of how it works there right because I just recently met somebody uh, from Kenya or, I don't yeah. know, all over the place but yeah. it sounds like in some of these rural areas you it's like the only option is to kind of get sent away to school. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, if I if I wasn't sent to boarding school I would have had to do my high schooling in Afrikaans, which is not my mother tongue. Yeah, um, okay. and, that would have um, been difficult. And yeah, exactly. And and my parents just thought it was 
better for me to go to to a boarding school and they sacrificed a huge amount financially in order to do that. But how old were you when you did that? Um, 11. So, and then you're living away from home at yeah. a school because I've heard some bad stories about these places. Yes. yes. They're really, they can be really strict and it can be traumatic. Yep. All of these things, you're away from your parents at 11 years old. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's really. You know, um, how so was that for you? I found it incredibly difficult. I just before I was uh, first went to boarding school, my grandmother, who was very close with, um, died at home, and it, that was a very traumatic experience. And I was then sent to boarding school, and honestly, they just weren't equipped to deal with um, with students who needed extra care and parenting um, and not just sort of discipline and the and the great education that they were giving me but they just weren't equipped to deal with the kind of the grief and the post-traumatic stress that I was living yeah. through. They weren't considering your individual situations in, in no, life. No, they just didn't have the capacity. The way the boarding school was set up to run and function, they didn't. So I developed eating disorders um, and um, anxiety, um, insomnia. I got lockjaw. I had so much... Yeah, pent up. Oh my um, gosh! It was a, it was really, yeah, it was a, it was a really tough time, and that was part of my motivation for leaving school, of course, and that was part of also my parents thinking in terms of supporting me um, yeah. in that because it was clear that I wasn't thriving where yeah, I was. Right. Yeah. Right. That sounds awful, actually. That sounds like something that it must still stick with you in in, in ways. Do you think it's? Yeah, I mean, I think like any difficulty at both, it molds you and it leads you to new or different paths and you really have a choice. So do you do you succumb to it or do you develop from it and grow grow with those challenges? Right. And um, one thing that it really that I would say I'm incredibly thankful for those experiences was that it led me to yoga. Um, so I realized that. Um, if I was going to deal with these um, anxiety, the anxiety disorders and the eating disorders that I developed, that the only person who really was going to deal with that and 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 develop a healthy relationship with myself and habit patterns in my life, the only one who's going to actually do that is me. Yeah. And no matter how many psychologists or centers or whatever you go to, at the end of the day, and I'm not knocking the industry or whatever, but for me, I realized somewhere down the line that actually, like, <laughs> the only one who's really responsible and accountable for this is me. And I know what's going on in my mind and how that's making me sick. Um, and I need to learn how to better observe my mind and to manage the negative thought patterns that are then proliferating. Um, you know, they say your thoughts become your words, your words become your deeds, and your deeds become your habits. And your habits are the fabric of your life. The, the fact that I turned to yoga and actually Vipassana meditation, which is a Buddhist form of meditation. Um, apparently, it was the uh, the type of meditation performed by um, Siddhartha, the first Buddha, um, and it was kept in its in its like in a very um, original and authentic form in Burma for thousands of years, and then was in monasteries. And then was, this is a tangent, and then re <laughs> unearthed by Goinka, um, a um, Buddhist monk, in about the 1970s. And anyway, they've now set up these amazing centers around the world, Vipassana centers that are totally free to, to go to, which v is incredible. Vipassana? Vipassana, yeah. Okay. I just uh, talked to somebody that went on one. It's like, they're free, and then, and then you, you have to be quiet, like... 
You have to meditate yeah, have to 12 hours a day silence. or something for 10 days? Yeah, or? vow of silence. The, the, the formal course is 10 days. They do have like one day or three day things now as well. And you take a vow of silence. It's just a lot of discipline. You, you know, you do, you wake up at four in the morning. And the one I went to outside Cape Town was like cold showers in winter, early in the morning. And um, lots, lots of discipline, lot of, lot of, a lot of hours in, in meditation. And it was damn hard. But the point is that it started, I'm not, you know, like um, here to, to tout and promote that as the only form of meditation or the only answer, but it's what I found at the right time. It, yeah. it How was old necessary. were you when you did that? The first one I did was in, I was um, 19, the okay. first course I went to. And would you say that that was the first experience you had where not that you weren't aware of uh, some of these things that happened in your past and like that but was that the thing that kind of brought it really to the forefront for you or had you been kind of I've I've been doing yoga like so there's I I had been doing the practice of asana so physical like asana for um I'd been around it for a lot of my life because my mother did it when she was since she was about fourteen. Oh, okay. She did. She was a preggy a preggy yoga mom, and so I was very used to the idea of yoga. But in school and being a teenager, I was just like into sports and all kinds of other stuff. And so I was familiar with the practice of yoga and in a broad sense. But Vipassana was the first time that I actually started to understand what what mind body experiences were about and my body practices were about and I first started to grapple with the idea of being able to observe your mind and observe yeah. your thought patterns being the witness so yes, to speak yeah. exactly and the gap between your thoughts and the observer and that gap is a gap of potential that is a gap of potential mm. and neutrality so it's a potential to be able to observe and therefore not be victim to your to your thoughts um, um, and 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 so it's not about then in reverse controlling them but about not reacting to them there's a gap of neutrality there and then Vipassana was the first time that I came to experience that for for myself and understand that and understand what it means to observe your breath observe your mind and to drip, to percolate into your body and how powerful that is for you to connect with your truth and your rhythms, your feeling, your being. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. It's interesting you said the gap because I I had not thought of the gap until I went on this recent retreat and then we were on this post-retreat call and... They were asking me different questions and stuff. And, and I said, you know, I think I'm spending more time in this gap. I, I hadn't really thought too much about it as a gap before, but I like that because I'm visual. So I, and I yep. can imagine this yep. moment, what happens between where you feel like, let's say a negative, I don't want to say a negative emotion, mm-hmm. but you don't want to like, you don't necessarily strong deni- emotion. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to necessarily deny your emotions mm. because you're a human, mm. but at the same time, acting on them in a certain way is, is not healthy, I feel. And so this this ability to spend more time in this gap between like a, a rising emotion and deciding what you're going to do with it kind yeah, of like yeah. instead of just it rolling right into the emotional response it's like if if there's the ability to just kind of widen that space just a tad gives you what splits even just a split second to kind of 
process and, and understand how do I want how do I want to be like as a human yeah. in this moment? Yeah. Like I have this emotion I'm feeling. How do I want to handle it? Yeah, what's, take, what's a what's a good way to handle it? Exactly and, um, to take ownership to take ownership of how you're acting and how yeah. you're you're being in the world and to draw that back to the eating disorders on a granular level. I was I was able to to start to understand to understand what it meant to. To, to have negative thought. Like I had a, a backing track in my mind that I wasn't even aware of, of repeated things. Repeat, you know, we tell ourselves the same stuff over and over again and repeated things I was telling myself in the back of my mind, most of the time not even aware of. And those words, those things I was telling myself were having physical reactions in my body. So for like tightening of the chest or butterflies in the stomach or, um, you know, curling in of the shoulders. I was having physical reactions. You were which noticing was, the loop and then noticing your, yeah, your no, physical. Yeah, noticing wow. how I was physically reacting to things I was telling myself. And those physical reactions are both like movements, muscle, muscular things happening in the body. But they're also, when I talk about like butterfly in the stomach, that's also talking about an emotion. Because an emotion is both, you know abstract and, and the mental, but it's also always physical. There's always a physical change in the body. You can't feel something without it also being somewhere on your body. Some change, even if it's minor, like a tingling in the skin or something like that, there's always a minor flutter, fluctuation change in the breath or in the body. And so the practice of Vipassana for me or any meditation um, is a practice of starting to see those patterns play out and to start to understand them. And once you see them, whatever it is, I gave an example of what it was for me, it might be a different process for somebody else. But once you're able to see that, you can then isolate where you're really going wrong, where the harm is is happening, like where where the disjunctures are. And then you can deal with it. Instead of just feeling like hopeless that you've got this compulsion and this terrible loop of, of behavior that you can't get out of, which is, you know, what you feel like when you're in, in that um, circumstance, when you have a disorder like that, when um, you're ill in that way. Um, and instead of that hopelessness and that unknown of like, why do I do this? Why can't I change? Why am I doing this to myself? Instead of feeling that way, you can actually say, okay, this is the process. Look, I go from that thought to that physical, emotional, psycho-emotional reaction. And then that leads me to start to do this type of thing. And I can map it. So if I can map it, then I can understand how to practically intervene on that process. Yeah. Wow. Mapping yourself. Yeah. Bringing it back to travel. Back to travel. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no. It's good, though. Uh, yeah. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com altitude go. 
To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. I was going to ask you if you've ever experienced like, I've had these moments in my life where I feel like, you know, I'm talking two or three, where I felt like, Something happened where there was, there was going to be a big change in my life. And then I, I had like these physical sort of, what I can only describe as like an energetic reaction. I don't know if it was like a panic attack or if it, it, it's like uh, something else. And it's happened recently. This is going to sound weird. I was trying to tell my wife like, but I feel like there's like an energetic alignment going on in my body. Is that? A thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So can so can you explain like what so what give me an example of what you would I mean it's just like this feeling where uh there's there's a big change. Yeah. There's a transformation that's gonna really change things. And maybe like a tightness, like an anxiety, uh, yeah. but also like a it's just feeling sort of um yeah, like tingly, yeah. I guess, and yeah. these types of things, and, and sort of unsettled in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Mm-hmm. Like not not necessarily a good feeling. Not like a oh yeah, yeah now yeah. um, like I know that the the transformation or the decision's right, but something's off. Like in my body, like it's like my body hasn't caught up to the decision or mm. something. Mm. Yeah. Well, look, one thing I can say is we are all energy that is just you know on a quantum mechanical right, level right and the basis the that's truth a scientific it's fact, just a yeah. fact we are pulsing vibrating energy we are a mass of vibrating energy and we're more space than we are anything else so that's hard to conceive because i'm looking yeah. at you you're here yeah but you know yeah exactly and so so on a on a physical level we're more water than we are any of like we're 70 percent say people say oh we're 70 percent water true we are like a big balloon but if you imagine that balloon filled with water you say 70 percent but it's like 
90% on a quantum mechanical level is actually just gaps between space, yeah, nothing. Right. And on an a in an Ayurveda, which is the school of thought, the umbrella school of thought that yoga and what we know as yoga and asana um, arises from, you could call it um, traditional philosophy from the northern part of the Himalayas in India. Um, that, so Ayurveda talks about how there are five elements um, and the fifth element, so it would be water, fire, earth, air, and the fifth element is ether. And ether is the glue in Ayurvedic philosophy for all other for the other um, elements. And it is, the, it is the most abstract, but it is also the most sort of foundational. Um, and that space, anyway, is pregnant with energy. It's pregnant with, mm -hmm. in, in, with, yeah. with, um, with information. Yeah. Um, and it's what binds us. It's what connects yeah. us. If you're like, these guys are getting woo-woo here, I'll use a real example. You can tell me if this is correct. I mean, we've all been in a place where if a certain person walks in the room, and the energy completely shifts, maybe in a bad way, maybe in a good way. Yeah. That's yeah. part of the glue. Absolutely. Think, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. If there was a separation, it wouldn't, it wouldn't feel so powerful. Absolutely. And we talk about, it's in our lang everyday colloquial language. We talk about vibes, good vibes. We're not vibing right. bad. And right. that's what we're talking we're about. We're having good vibes we're here. Good we're vibes. Vibing. <laughs> we're vibing. Here. Um, all right. Th so going back to, your 16-year-old self, or 15 or 16, something around uh, there. 15, I left school, um, and 16, 16, just before my 17th birthday, I went off sailing. Because I'm, I'm, I have a daughter, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just thinking, oh my gosh. I mean, I don't know my 16-year-old daughter, but yeah. thinking about, okay, bye, have fun, you know, sailing around the world at 16 years old. What? Yeah. Uh, okay, what a, what a learning experience, I'm sure, and... For anybody curious of what the lifestyle of travel mm. is like in that industry, mm. what what you did, like what it was like for you, and just the, yeah, just a bit about the the experience, whatever you want to share here, maybe how it. This is, I shouldn't do this. Mm. I'm doing multiple questions at once. It's but okay. Yeah. I just want to hear about the experience and maybe how it impacted you. So I did a, a coastal skippers course in Durban on the um, east coast of South Africa. Why, why did you pick this? You could have picked anything. You I know. It's you very wanted to random. travel. It's, I wanted to travel, and um, I guess I probably read or saw or heard something about it being a great way to travel. Because you didn't grow up around boats or anything like that. No, I grew up in the middle of South Africa, right. um, no and boats. I'd never no been sailing be before. <laughs> right. um, but I do seasick. love. I did know that I loved the ocean, and yeah. I guess you know I've always had an, an affinity for wide open spaces, like massive vistas. And it's one of the things that I absolutely love and miss about the savannah in, in Southern Africa is the sense of expanse where the sky just feels so huge. And you don't get that in Europe. You yeah, may Because you live here, we should mention. We didn't mention yeah, you live in Oslo. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, you just don't get that, that feeling. And anyway, I imagined that being on a boat in, in, the, in the ocean would be the most extreme feeling of this endless expanse and yeah. and it and it is mm -hmm. <laughs> um and yes i guess i i had probably read or seen or heard somewhere that it was a great way to work and travel together yeah. as without needing you know and there's various 
sides of the industry. I mean, on the big yachts, you have like, you know, staff, everyone from, from, um, deckhands, hostesses, chefs. Have you seen the, sh- the reality show? People keep on telling really? me about it, but I really <laughs> haven't. I, you know what? I, I never binge those yeah. shows because they're yeah. garbage, but yeah. I did did yeah. binge it. I forget what it's called now. It's called... Uh, oh, I don't know. Crew? Something crew? or Yeah, something oh, crew. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it, it's pe- supposed I've to give you the... Because I was curious about what the experience like because yeah. I haven't gotten yeah. to live it. So, um, yeah, so I, when I finished the course, I... I was actually immediately offered a job and that was for a very specific reason. And that's because I had then a coastal skipper's license. So I could officially, you know, um, be at the helm and skipper a sailing yacht. But I also over the course showed myself to be interested in an adept at cooking in the galleys (laughs) of the boat. And I was on a sailing, obviously the sailing course was all guys I was the only girl on the on the course and that's awesome and so (laughs) I was sharing a boat with five other guys um 18 year old 19 year old boys and as part of the course we sailed up the east coast of southern Africa to um, Maputo to Mozambique um, and then uh, across to um to some of the islands off the coast of Mozambique and on that trip we were on the edge of a tropical cyclone it was tropical cyclone Ernest and we got into some seriously bad weather um and I had there were photos and you know tales of me being down in the galley like strapped to the galley putting <laughs> together a meal to keep everyone alive wow um, but I also really enjoyed I enjoyed cooking for the for, you know I mean it sounds ridiculous and and corny now the only girl like in the galley or whatever but I really enjoyed it yeah, and to be honest it. it was better food than any of them could have put together. <laughs> so it's because of that that I was offered You're the like, job. You're like, I'm not eating your cheese sandwiches. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> another another two-minute noodle meal. No and thanks. so was it a good way to see the world? Yes. Or some of the world, I should say? Yes. So I was offered this job, and it was on a small relatively small boat a 50 footer um, and it was privately owned and the owner was on the boat Um, and so the requirement was that he because it was a smaller boat needed somebody to was adept at sailing could sail and cook for him and so so that was the offer and then the other practical thing is i have i had a british i have a british passport not just a south african passport right. and okay. and yeah. so that helped in terms so this of this was really south perfect african. for you it yeah. was just per, it was just pure luck yeah. and so the experience was um, it was incredibly enriching um, we did sail quite a bit um, and but I got onto the boat in February in the south of Spain and um, the owner was not entirely s- decided on where he wanted to go mm-hmm. um, I like his style yeah um, we sailed <laughs> we sailed through the Straits of Gibraltar to the coast of Morocco and down the coast of Morocco for a bit of time and then back up through along Costa del Sol Costa Blanca and then went to the Balearic Islands this must have been so exciting it was so exciting and I had a lot of autonomy really in terms of running the boat um, which was great so I had to learn a lot um, it was good and bad I mean the the owner was also not good at his um, and if we were doing a longer crossing at night I can remember being like left there doing the graveyard shift when he really should have been doing <laughs> doing right. the watch um, so uh, it was Took very a bit dis- of advantage of uh, yeah, yeah. work ethic Exactly. But I mean, if you own the boats, I mean, I guess you can. I guess so, yeah. Um, but uh, no, but I mean, I, I'm not trying to paint that as a scary or bad thing. I mean, I loved no. it. I absolutely mm. loved it. And um, and then 
so by by May we had then sailed through um, Messina on the east coast of Sicily and the Italian mainland and sailed through there and around the boot of Italy and we were um, in Brindisi on the heel of the boot of Italy and then the own that owner of the boat wanted to go back to the UK I jumped ship I going to it's such a long story but basically there was this beautiful Australian um, 60 foot custom built Beneteau that came into the marina and that morning South Africa and Australia had played a rugby match and I'd managed through my broken Italian morning being because it was played in Australia yeah um and I managed with my broken Italian to watch the match at a ristorante nearby that was actually closed and South Africa had won and I saw the Australian <laughs> flag and I went over to gloat <laughs> and they were so lovely and they were like, come on board for a Campari. And, um, and then three Camparis later, they were like, okay, love, you're joining us <laughs> because, <laughs> because they heard that, that the owner of the first boat I was on was going back to the UK and basically wanted to leave me to look after the boat in Brindisi for about a month or two. Yeah, okay. And I was like, oh, that's a bit boring. I want to I mean, keep on going. I mean, don't you love serendipity like that? Exactly. And they were so lovely and they just... They had guests on board all the time. It was a bigger boat. And so I was doing more of the entertaining and the cooking that I loved, as well as sailing this beautiful yacht. And so you're just yacht. on the next boat and off around And the off. W- and we went, we, yeah, we sailed across to um, the Adriatic coast and we're around Croatia for about two and a half months and then down to the Ionian Islands, around the south of the Greek mainland and the north of the Peloponnese. We were in the Kikladis for two and a half months and then the Dodecanese, which are the... Turkish version of the Kikadis okay. for two two months until the, the end of that year. That and it was amazing. Their guests were wonderful. They had owned a publishing company in, our, in Sydney for years and then had sold their publishing company and bought this boat. And okay. they had like a wealth of stories and good vibes and great guests. Incredible. It was I mean, so... But, but this experience is quite unique in the sense they were small boats. And that's the point I... Like I think it's important to make is there are jobs like this where you get on in a, and you're basically one of two or three or the only crew. Yeah. And you really treat it as part of the family. Okay. And yeah. that's how I was treated. I didn't have to wear a uniform. And if they okay. went like right. exploring. This is like a sub uh, industry within the yacht exactly. industry. You weren't doing the Big Below Deck is the name of the show, deck. by the way. Yes. You weren't doing that where it's a crew. You're, you're, a crew of yeah. 20 and you've right. got, yeah, and you're silver service yeah. and things like that. Yeah. No, but I saw those boats. I remember we sailed like, past. I'm glad I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we sailed past um, Armani's boat. Um when we were leaving Mallorca and he had, there were two heli- helicopter pads at the back of the super yacht. <laughs> it was, and all the crew were like walking around in their like shades of silver and gray yeah. uniform looking very swish. You're just like, but. stop it right now. Just stop it right now. <laughs> now. I mean, all right. So just going back to that moment, I, I just want to point this out because the, if you're able to give yourself the gift of that type of freedom where you're traveling, like any any point in life, doesn't matter what age you are now. I I, I just love that idea, or, and I've been in those situations where like you know you're just out and you really like can do anything, and you think you're going to the UK one day, and then like two hours later, you're on to the next thing, yeah, yeah. and that is such. That to me is one of the best parts of uh, travel in totally. that way is just that not knowing, yeah, and being able to just have that freedom to just take the next path or the next thing and, and really just let it organically 
guide evolve. you around the world. Exactly. What a gift. If you can give yourself that gift of like complete freedom at any point in your life, even for a limited time, it's so mm. worth taking that and grabbing onto it. And being it. open to things. Yes. That's the thing. We don't even realize how closed we are to opportunities most of the time. Because That's we true. have such strong preconceived ideas of what what, what how th- how we want things to turn out right. and how we are going to measure the next experience but if you let go of those expectations this is a big yoga lesson if you let go of those expectations and open yourself up to a new experience and just allow things to unravel moment by moment there's magic everywhere how long were you traveling around the world did, did you go to New Zealand yes, work at the wineries after that because that, that's after a whole, that. that's a two year visa type of thing I think yeah. right yeah. where you can work on farms and Australia, yeah. New Zealand. Were you doing that? Yeah, or? so some of the guests on board um, invited me then. They, they said, um, come to New Zealand a- next Another year. sort of, here we go. I'm just, exactly. Okay, I guess I'm doing this They now. were like, we own a boat um, in Auckland. It's, it's based at West Haven Marina in Auckland, and we have a vineyard at Lake Taupo. And so why don't you come next year, and you can look after our boat in the summer and then come for the pruning season at the vineyard in, okay. in winter. And they also had a publishing company, so I also managed, whilst I was working on the boat um, and, and looking after their boat in Auckland Marina, to do an internship in their publishing company um, in, in in Auckland so okay. I would look after yeah. the boat in the morning and then go for a couple of hours in the what afternoon cool. for an intern experience with their publishing company which was just amazing and yeah. and they I mean I, I have a love for literature and books partly because of my upbringing my, my parents but also through that experience of the two um, amazing like uh, couples that had achieved a lot in their lives and I really looked up to and opened their very privileged and wow amazing world to me um, but also loved books and ideas yeah and right. sharing ideas yeah. and had such great sense of adventure mm. as well learning so much I'm sure yeah. just through the experiences and the conversations and Absolutely. how long were you bouncing around the world in this way I imagine you were going back visiting your parents at certain points? I mean... Um, yes, I, I did. I did. It was um, the t- that time th- before I started university, that whole section was three years. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And then I decided, okay, I need to get a degree. And honestly, in hindsight... What one thing I've really learned is I probably didn't. I would have been good to carry on without, but I did feel <laughs> like I needed to then get a degree and go. And I wanted to actually do travel journalism. Yeah. And so I applied to go to the university in South Africa that's no well it's the top sort of media um, media studies center in Africa, and um, that's Rhodes University. They have a very yeah very acclaimed journalism department and I went to to Rhodes to, to study journalism because mm. I wanted to be a travel journalist but within a week of being there I realized that actually if I'm going to be a good journalist I should learn about the world not about journalism so I decided oh. to do history and philosophy and English instead of nice. journalism studies okay yeah I have some questions on philosophy, but we'll get yeah. to those later. We should talk retreats. I mean, yeah. we got a whole bunch of stuff to come. Thank you for sharing all that. That's really cool to hear about yeah. your li- more about your life. I know there are loads of more stories in there, so um, <laughs> they'll come out over time, I'm sure, as we yeah. continue to get to know each other. Tell everybody why you're in Norway again. Um, I'm in Norway because, um, I mean, I live here. It's a very boring reason why I'm in Norway. I'm in Norway because my husband works for a Norwegian technology company. Yeah, okay. Because um, yeah. Yeah, he's not from here either. No, we're both yeah. South African and yes. we were living in Amsterdam and then um, running a retreat business, I can be based anywhere. Yes. So when he was like, hey, should we move to Norway? It was 
I mean, I had no reason to say and no. And you don't know how long you're going to be here for. No, no, it's we don't. Although, let me tell you, it has not been easy for me to get um, residency here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, Post Brexit, British passports. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure those of us in the world who who are on a British passport trying to live in Europe or yeah, particularly yeah. in Europe, post Brexit. Um, will resonate with the difficulties <laughs> that have arisen. Yes. Yeah. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks So they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. This you sent over and advanced a little bit of info. I know the general topics, but we're looking at this as, as kind of how to curate epic transformative travel retreats. And I kind of framed it up on the top. You can pull out... You're, you've been doing this for how long, curating, creating these type of... Since 2016. Okay, yeah, yeah, so many, many years. Just pull out what makes sense for you, whether you're the organizer, or solo traveler, or whatever. You've been designing this, yeah, over past seven years. So I love that you kind of defined what a retreat is. I think that's pretty important because it really sets the context for the entire conversation, all the advice you're going to share. So. Yeah. Yeah. You want to just kind of lay that out for us? Absolutely. It um, might sound like a silly question, but I yeah. think it's, you know. No, I, I think it's an important question because there is a lot of confusion and this it's become such a big industry and people have ideas of what a retreat is and um, and um, I, I think it's worth defining, right? Yeah, great. Um, so for me, a retreat is a transformative travel experience. So it's a travel experience that has a certain degree of structure Um, and intentional, meaningful experiences. Um, It is about traveling not just without to see a new place, um, uh, to go to a new location, but also traveling within. Okay. 
it can be a group experience or retreats can also be solo, mm-hmm. um, but they are curated, they're intentional, and they intentionally take you out of your comfort zone into learning or evolving into something new. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So can you share some advice on setting an intention for something like that? Because I think that I was struggling with that on a retreat I went with and and I was like, am I going to be able to get this down? I wanted to get it down to some snappy sentence or whatever. And then there was this balance between setting an intention that really resonated with me, but also making sure that I didn't have too many expectations around that because I knew other things would happen or other things might come up and other it would be an ever-evolving situation. And so, you know, maintaining the openness, mm. but still having the intention, but not having the expectation. The mindset, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe this is for somebody, you know, they're thinking about going to retreat or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because you want, when you're getting into a retreat, as you described, you, you, you are probably going to have some kind of intention, like, and maybe that intention is as simple as a, uh, I'm just creating some time for myself and we'll see what sure. happens. And it could be that. But yeah, I, I'm just exactly. curious what your advice yeah. was on this. I mean, this. There, is, there is never somebody who books a retreat who's just like, I'm going on vacay. There's always something behind it. So whether it's they're in a juncture in their life, like between jobs, or they've just been through a separation, or they are exhausted, or there's always, or they're trying to change their career. There's always something else. There's a layer beneath mm. the trip. Yeah. And so there's an intention that people come with that sometimes they don't even, I think, consciously verbalize or, or, or realize that is related to something contextual in their life. Some juncture, some, something is happening that in their life that they're seeking a little bit of extra inspiration, meaning, answers, rest, depth. So there's that. But then there can also be an intention like when you get there, an intention on the level of like, okay, what do I want to get out of the next five days? So there could be intention of like, I'm in this phase of deciding what I want to do with my life. I'm changing my career and I'm not quite sure what it is. So there's that deeper contextual thing. But there can also be intention of like, over the next five days, I actually just want to live moment by moment. Like that could be, a, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I want to cultivate. That's really nice. Truly, I want right. to cultivate presence. So there could also be an immediate like, um, a localized intention as yeah. well as a contextual intention. Okay. And I think intentions are very important because they help to give us direction to steer the ship. Um, but then indeed, as you say, that openness and uh, that you have to also maintain the sense of openness, um, this, this um, almost surrendering of the outcomes. So you set the intention, but then you surrender to the direction in which the experience will go. And that's when you allow yourself to be taken up in serendipity, in wonder. I love the word wonder. Wonder at things. To wonder at the world. And you can't be overcome with wonder, with awe, if you're like, two o'clock, get there, you know, or Mm, (laughs) um, I need to do X, Y, Z. Wonder only happens when there's an opening and an allowing. Yeah. Um, And so... Um, definitely uh, intentions are important but then that sense of openness and I think what's important for me and what defines a retreat is that there is some form of mind body experience or connection 
um, that happens on a on a regular basis, on a daily basis. For me, it's on my retreats. There's yoga, yoga and meditation. Um, and the reason why that's important is because it's often it can be very hard for us to feel that sense of of connection with the ground, with the earth, where we are, to feel the openness. What I'm trying to say is to feel that sense of openness and that wonder, um, you often need to first ground yourself to yeah. feel where you are, to be where you are truly yeah. before you're open to things. Yeah, okay, yeah. And yeah. The, the, the practice of doing yoga or maybe it's a different form of meditation or maybe it's um, kung fu or whatever. It, it, it's not important. I'm not, um, you know, evangelical about any particular mind-body practice. Yeah. But something that at the start of the day enables you to just come into body, to be there, to feel yourself, to feel feel the earth, to spread your toes. And that becomes the foundation for you then to open in wonder. Yeah. You're right. Wonder is a spectacular word. And it's, isn't that what we live when we're living those, when we're just traveling as travelers, I feel like that the wonder opens up because we are open and we're seeing things in a, in a new way. And I, I, the way you described sort of the intention and the grounding and sort of the, the aspects of that, it's really beautiful because you can do that just like today mm, totally. or tomorrow morning. Absolutely. You know, you don't have to be on a retreat. I mean, but like, no. I'm going to live uh, moment by moment today to the best of my ability. Totally. And I mean, do you wake up and do have, do you have a daily in intention? Yes, I have daily sometimes? practice of okay. meditation and, and most days yoga as well. Yeah. Uh, but every morning I do at least 10 minutes of meditation. Um, some days it can only be 10 minutes and sometimes it's an hour. Yeah. Um, I actually am not good at rules. I'm not a rule bound, rigid person. Um, but I always sit down. I always turn up yeah. for myself. Okay. Yeah. And then I see where it goes. And when, when you said now about how you can do this today, this experience of grounding and being open, I absolutely resonate with that. And the greatest thing for me to hear after a retreat is when people say, um, since your retreat, yeah. I've, been, I've been doing yoga every day. Or since your retreat, I've felt so much calmer. And I've kept up that practice that we did in the morning of watching the sunrise. But one of the greatest things that you do on, on a holiday to that point is watch sunsets and sunrises mm. um that's a practice of, yeah. of meditation in itself that's right. a practice of grounding mm. um and so when i hear people say oh we did this on a retreat and i've kept it up in my daily life yeah that's the best thing yeah. to hear. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, gold right yeah. there yeah of course yeah, doing that in today is something you can do but also there is something special about kind of what we're what you're talking about and what we're going to get into in terms of advice the like removing your physical body from your normal surroundings, going somewhere, traveling and people that listen to this love to travel. So you already get that built in and then creating that space or that container to have a transformative experience. So you're away from all of the sort of regular daily things. You're not distracted by that and you're, you're setting and that's part of it too. I think, right. You're setting aside the space for yourself to explore this thing where it can be difficult. You maybe in theory could do it at home. You could say, I'm going to spend the next five days, doing yoga and meditating or doing Kung Fu or whatever. And I'm going to work on this one or two. Th I'm going to think about these one or two things about my life. And it's like, you know, that's not going to happen. No. Like, you know, you're going to be, you're yeah. going to get emails or yeah. something's going to happen. Your toilet's going to break and you're going to have to, you know, and then you're just going to be completely out of it. But when you're away, 
Yeah. None of that crap can happen. Yeah, so. exactly. There's always the sense when you travel to a place, there's there's it's actually the a multi-directional thing happening. So one is that you're physically going to a place. You're physically arriving in and waking up in in the Serengeti. That's happening on the physical level, but you're also it is this is why it's multi-directional, leaving behind right, something. Right. And what you're leaving behind is the person that you were up to that point in your everyday life. You're leaving behind your roles and responsibilities. Mm. You're leaving behind your um, uh, your to-do lists and um, and the things that inevitably weigh us down in the everyday life. You're leaving behind that version of yourself and you're going to somewhere new. And so you're almost like creating a blank canvas or an open container for something transformative or new to happen because you've cleared away, you've left behind that stuff that you are in your everyday life. Mm. And if you stay where you are, yes, you can create um, calm, grounding, intentional weekends or whatever at home. And I don't, I, I think that's wonderful. But you're not leaving, you're not creating this open canvas for new, for, for newness, yeah, right. for the evolution. Um, and I think there's something also incredibly, incredibly important about travel, which is that, and it's the, I think the biggest privilege is that you experience everyday things, a sunset, like it's the first. Yeah, right. You've seen however many thousands of sunsets, or they happen and we don't even notice them, or you've, you've had how many dinners or cups of coffee or whatever, or met how many strangers. But when you do it in a completely new place, you have the privilege of it being and feeling mm -hmm. like a first. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's a childlike excitement and, again, wonder yeah. um, that you just can't create in your everyday life. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I agree. The ingredients that make a retreat epic and transformative, you sent over a couple of uh, talking points we can go through around the practical side of this. What, what are those to you? Yeah. yeah. So for me, the first is um, the right environment. So the, all of the retreats that I run are based in very beautiful nature wilderness. Yeah. Um, there are, it's not that I'm against um, urban um, environments or anything like that, um, but for a retreat for this um, deeper mind-body connect that we're talking about, there is something about um, a common nature-based yeah. environment. Nature that gives enables them. all something. Exactly. I mean, it's, part of our, it's part of our nature. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so the right um, calm nature-based environment so the second super important thing is that all of the details of the trip are taken care of and organized. Tra travel can be exhausting and it can be stressful. And if you're worrying about the next meal or this travel, that, all the details. It's using a bandwidth exactly. that you could be using. And we can obsess about it and therefore neglect this, the other work that we need to be th and things we need to think about. Right. Um, and um, so all the details are taken care of and you literally can arrive and all the stuff is happening and you can focus on the, that important connection. Um, then that there is opportunity for both growth and rest. So talked about the mind-body practices, um, the, and all of the retreats I run are amazing, unique experiences and 
activities like um, hiking and or calligraphy classes or like really supping fun activity stuff that takes you out of your comfort zone that's that's exciting but there also needs to be time for rest yeah um, we live in such busy um, productive lives and there is a, a cult of productivity in our everyday uh, in, in our w modern world yeah. and so intentional rest time yeah. both cool stuff and nothing time and mm. that's super super important um, the cult of productivity yeah I like that <laughs> get it done <laughs> <laughs> it's true um, <laughs> And then there also need to be experiences that tie you to the place. Um, and that's because travel is a privilege. And there are so many amazing lessons that you learn from other ways of life, other cultures, other environments, other ecosystems. Yeah. And to go to a place and to say, oh, I went there for a retreat and I f focused on my presence and grounding and whatever. But if you didn't do something that's, that's um, specific to that place and connect with yeah. that and get to know that, well, then that's not being grounded or being authentic in your inner yeah. grounding. Okay, yeah. Um, and then the last uh, ingredient is the, the wonder, the magic, the awe. Yes, yeah. perfect. That's, that's a great list. Maybe this is more on the business side, but it, it could be if you're leading a group, uh, friends or whatever. The, one of the questions you put out is, what does it mean to lead or guide a retreat? What are the type of things that can go wrong? And we're going to ask you about how you design them and price them if, if you do want to get into the retreat business. And that might be just a small subset of people listening. But uh, I'm curious how that... I'm always curious about business aspects of things. And also, sometimes when you hear those things, even if it's a different industry, you can still take some things from it and apply them to your own thing. But uh, yeah, in terms of leading it, I'm guessing what you mean by this question is how do you facilitate a transformative experience mm -hmm. on the ground mm -hmm. as an individual who's leading but needs to also get out of the way? Is that Absolutely. kind of the... I, I think you're already answering what, you know, the question in, the sa in, in saying get out the way. The point is that if you're, and if you're leading a trip, uh, a retreat, uh, it's not about you. Yeah. And all too often, particularly in the yoga retreat, like part of retreats yeah, okay. um, there there is a lot of um, focus on the, the teacher or the personality you know there are like yoga celebrities for example right. that will I do mean, a that's retreat the thing that can draw the people oh absolutely know, yeah. um, and some and in some cases it's wonderful because that person is truly inspiring and magnetic right. and uh, that's amazing but it's important that if, if, if you're leading a, a group, even if you are that magnetic celebrity person, that you know how to get out of the way so that people have the capacity not just to mirror you, to mimic you, but to find their groove yeah, and to find right. their personal right. evolution, not right. just to follow yours. Right. Um, and so it's very important to know how to switch off and be part of the group and not in front of the group. Yeah, right. To be a participant. Okay, yeah. Um, and 
it's also very important to acknowledge that you are not there to fix people. So there is a perception of retreats um, that people have that you sort of go on there to like sort out a problem or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I and that's absolutely not ever my approach. I'm not um, a, a psychologist right. or, you know, like right. I'm not there. That's definitely never the intention um, and not, not something that's promoted. It's about creating an environment that enables people to grow and answer things for themselves. And that's a very big difference. Um, And then another big thing is compassion. One, like constant thing. Every retreat I do, I always am struck by how people surprise you. You can never, ever read a book by its cover. Constantly, constantly, constantly. People will surprise you. And and you just never know what kind of they're going through right (laughs) Right. and so you have to have that compassion you can't like write people off you've got to let people be who they are and have a compassion for that so that they find a home within the group dynamic and if you're like um discriminating or judging or you know saying this is what the in group this is how we're part of this group or whatever then you start to create cliques and schisms and that's entirely that's not yeah, at all right. the, the intention yeah so so there's that and then aligned to that i always make sure in a group that i'm aware of power dynamics so even though it could be a retreat of adults Amazingly, as adults, we still function. Lord of the flies. Sorry, what about Lord the of the flies? flies. Yeah, right? we still <laughs> function like teenagers in a group environment. Yeah. So there's the cool kids, the loud kids <laughs> having the best time and becoming best friends, <laughs> and then there's the quiet ones, yeah, right. right? They're the people that don't quite fit in. It happens every retreat. If there's six people or sixty people, the same dynamics, yeah. and um, it's really important to acknowledge that the people that are the cool group, they're having the best time. They don't need you, and they are becoming like a power leaders within the group themselves. And you have to align yourself with the people that are on the side of that. And you've got to, and when I say align yourself, I mean, there is, if you're leading a group, you are holding a, a position of power and those people that become loud and set the tone and are love, and I don't mean it in a negative way, yeah. they're having an amazing yeah. time and that's wonderful. They become a center of power as well. And so you can't hang out with those people in a basic, to put it basically, like yeah. you've got to make sure you to that you're sensitive. Yeah, yeah, sensitive to how um, power works in, in a group of humans. Humans, yeah. even though we're adults right. um, and, and, and to tend to, to people that are a bit quiet because some people who are on the margins are comfortable in that and they mm-hmm. love that and they yeah. embrace that and that's great. Yeah. But sometimes they're uncomfortable in that. Yeah, right. And then you've got to, you've got to be sensitive to it. It's a lot to balance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, By the end of these, are you pretty tired? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the last thing I was going to say is you've got to have fun. And that's energizing. Yes. So I put in a lot of work before the retreat starts. That's where all the like hard work happens. So that when the retreat begins, I have the time and peace of mind Mm -hmm. to have fun. Because if I'm always like running around trying to organize stuff, then particularly the A types in the group are going to be like, oh, I should be working too, you know. Or like you know, you set a tone of uh, yeah. of anxiety, or um, just um, you know, you 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 you're then not participating, right? Right. And so, yes, a very very important thing is to have fun. Okay. 
That sounds, uh, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Give us just like destination wise. Yeah. Give me like your two or three favorite places. Even one or two experiences that just come right to your head where it's like, it was just so magical in so many ways. So the, the, the retreat that comes to mind first is in Kenya. Um, so look, first of all, I have to say I am biased. Like Africa is Your my, home is my home. Yeah. Um, so I'm biased, but I, this trip is just so mind blowing. The, the two, the two look, it's over two locations. The first is Amboseli National Park, which is this huge protected wild, UNESCO protected wilderness area beneath Mount Kilimanjaro, which is the largest, highest peak in Africa. Um, and so the whole of this wilderness area that has big five, it's a big five reserve, so big five um, animals. Um, when you are viewing on your safari and viewing the animals, the backdrop is the snow-capped peak of Mount Kilimanjaro. So that in itself is just... So lame. So wild. So lame. <laughs> and so to get there, you've got to get in these small... So it begins, it begins in Nairobi. And to get there, you've got to get in these small eight-seater propeller safari planes. And so um, the guests arrive and I go sort of a day early. And when they touch down on this airstrip beneath Mount Kilimanjaro, yeah. um, I'm waiting there with the uh, safari guides. They touch down the small propeller plane um, and there's like elephant, giraffe <laughs> around Mount Kilimanjaro and, um, and the adventure begins. Yeah. And um, it is... Uh, first part of the trip is there and the bush safari um, incredible animal sightings we also do um, I focus I don't want to give away too many there's like special moments that are yeah. weaved in like okay. surprises yeah. um, it, and you and have to surprise and delight yeah right? exactly yeah. <laughs> so these these awesome surprises um, and then we go from there to the um, Indian Ocean coast so the Kenyan coastline okay. which is Indian Ocean is year-round warm water it's paradise white sand beaches azure water place called Watamu which has a UNESCO protected mangrove estuary mm -hmm. and um, we stay in a place called Watamu Treehouse which is a hand-built treehouse tower with the top of the treehouse tower is circular and that's the yoga room and it has 360 degree views oh, of this white sand beach which is like two minutes walk down how do you find these places and um, the mangrove estuary so that's your secret sauce right? that is <laughs> so most of the locations that the retreats are at are through trips that I've done yeah. and places I've like, like sought just, out and discovered. Yeah. And it's kind of like one of those things, the more you do it, the more you get a knack for like finding them. And, yeah. and, and it's the most exciting part of the business is being like, oh, I'm now scouting a place. Yeah, right. and, um, and I'll like hear, put my ear to the ground, you know, and I'll hear something. Like recently I was in Zimbabwe looking for... Um, looking for a location in Zimbabwe um, and I'm looking at a place near Vic Falls um, and there's this incredible lodge called Matetsi which um, has got amazing amazing mix of conservation and community experiences as well as the big five and it's at Victoria Falls and I just like through through the you know that through the airwaves awesome. hear, yeah. hear about just, just places that are doing something out of the ordinary mm -hmm. and so all of the locations that, are, that the retreat Treats are at are unique and exceptional. None yeah. of them are the run of the mill. That's yeah. not uh, interesting to me. And that also doesn't, back to the point, inspire awe and wonder because it's 
you've seen it before, you've done yes. it before. And so all of them are like, holy, <laughs> where did, how, what? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, we'll link up to your site and everything so people can check them out, of course. I'm ready to head to the airport right now, actually, hearing that. Let's go to Kenya. uh, (laughs) Let's go to Kenya. Um, All right. Well, speaking of the business side of this, how do you, and I'm really curious about this, I mean, start like trying to plan some retreats in Norway and I got some uh, thought about, you know, listeners out there, maybe we can put something together. It'd be pretty fun. All of us come together. Well, (laughs) maybe not all of us, but a group of us come together somewhere and have one of these experiences together. I think it'd be really nice. So if you're interested in that, reach out because we can organize that. How would you kind of figure out packaging this kind of thing and pricing it? And I mean, you don't have to, you know, give away all your secrets or whatever. No, no, but, no. Um, I, I would imagine I put this out on my newsletter some weeks ago. You know, it is possible even if you're not like a travel company, if you are the organizer of a group, you can probably get your vacation or your trip paid for. And that's something I don't think a lot of travelers are maybe aware of. If you want to take the initiative and put together something, that gives you leverage if you're now calling an eco-lodge or wherever you're going and saying, hey, I got like 20 people ready to come down. What can you do for us? You know, Even if you're not running this as a business, it could be something to think about. So I don't know if that if that's off base or not, but I think it yeah. could be... Yeah, I think, do, I so. think lodges... Uh, I think the travel industry hospitality industry is more and more aware that um, experiences, experiential travel, a group travel is, um, is growing and all of, and t- a good lodge, a good hotel um, is already weaving into their package offering, their accommodation offering yeah. experiences and thinking about what are unique extras to the bed and breakfast yeah. that they offer. Right. Um, and so if you find a good location, they will have things that they do and excel at outside of their accommodation and food Mm. um, that you can leverage off. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's something important to, to consider. So whether you're planning it or whether you are the example you gave of like something spontaneous that's not like as a business, but maybe you have a group of people and you yeah. want to throw something together, um, uh, find the right place, and they already are considering and putting together exp- great experiences right. um, that you that you can leverage off. Um, in terms of pricing, um, I think the important thing. So the risky thing about retreats is that it's a B2C sales vibe. So you set a date, um, you create the package, and then you have to cost it on what you hope to and guesstimate to the, the, uh, in terms of numbers. Yeah. And that is a difficult thing. Yeah. First of all, you've got to be realistic. So obviously your cost price, the more people, the lower the price obviously, but you've also got to be realistic because lodges need you to block dates, to put down deposits yeah, to right. front to front up. And um, so what I always do is set myself a minimum viable number that I think realistically I can get. Yeah. And that's what I cost it to. And that's what I commit to. And then if... I exceed that, there's scope to then expand and book some more rooms, yeah. expand the number, get a bigger plane, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But, um, but, I, but I work with realistic minimal, minimal viable numbers. Um, and 
I also work hard to get an arrangement to work, work on relationships with the lodges and locations because um, over time I, I want to return there. I want to create a package and then run it every year. And so I want to bring them business long term um, and I try to build a relationship of trust and that enables me then also, once that's established, to have a bit more flexibility in terms of confirming numbers and practical things, blocking blocking rooms, blocking, yeah. 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 Um, and I mean, there are a lot of moving pieces. So, there are you know, a lot of moving pieces. This could be a multi-episode. It could be because you know. all the experiences, like a big trip like I described with Kenya, I mean, there are ground handler transfers. There are the flights. There are the lodges. Totally. I mean, yeah. there it's so many moving parts to put it together. And so I also, you know, I do recognize that I will spend an entire year, not all day, every day, but bits daily, you know, like over, over a year yeah. of planning and logistics and putting it together for what is then 10 days of amazingness. <laughs> yeah, right. And, um, and that's just the nature of it. And yeah. you have to be at peace with that. Yes. You can't, like, I also do consulting work, uh, like, you know, um, and, and, and that's the way I think about that. And like, there's my hourly rate is very different to how I think about the retreat mm-hmm. business. Yeah, right. You just, you just can't. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but you like it. But I love it. Absolutely love it. And so it gives me so much value beyond a monetary. And I'm not advocating for running a business at a loss. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that to do these things, like they take a lot of time and it's so many moving parts and logistics. Yeah, right. And you've just got to, yeah. In that way, you have to... Well, I believe it's helpful to have the passion. Helpful to right. have the passion and um, and just, yeah, make sure that your bases are, are covered. So as I said, start realistically. So I guess the last question would be, you know, actually getting people to come on yeah. on these things. Yeah. Right. You can't go on these retreats if you're not uh, marketing and having customers. Yeah. So yeah. you do things like go on some dude's podcast yes. and you know whatever stuff like that, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's working right now i guess well one of the thing that the things that i've really seen over the years in the industry is the people that succeed in running retreats are people that have an established community so um you know whether it be painting retreats or running retreat you know whatever group experiences that they have an established community and they leverage off that i've never seen somebody who didn't have an existing community and skill and think going who then started a retreat business out of out of nothing that it's been successful now look there might be but I haven't seen that um, and so I think that's the biggest thing is you have an established you, um, a community that you're already in touch with and you say hey we're a community because I do XYZ or we share XYZ passion yeah. together and let's take that passion to to the Swiss Alps. You yeah, know? Um, cool. So, so there's that. But yes, I mean, marketing is probably the biggest headache of, of the business for me and the thing that I wish that I, I had more help with. Um, and it's very, it is very time intensive. And, um, you know, to put together um, videos and material, reels that are really professional I mean, that takes a lot of time and, and money. And the expectation is also very high quality. And yeah, it's a lot. That takes a lot. Um, but 
Um, and so that's probably the most difficult part of business. I invest a lot of time and care into SEO. Super boring point, but you've got to be yeah, visible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I think the biggest point for me where I started seeing a big difference um, in traction was when I began to share my scouting trips and my like story and reasons behind choosing places. Oh, okay. So you mean on social media? On or? social media. Because okay. this is a big, in the startup yeah. culture, it's yeah. about sharing the process. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And people, it seems like that's, that really works. I mean, I've heard that yeah. time and time again, like yeah. when people are building tech companies, they, they're blogging about it, all the mistakes, yeah. the failures, the things that are happening. People do it with writing books now. They're yeah. like, you can log on and watch them write right. over your, sh you know, this kind of thing. And it really works, apparently. Yeah. So yeah. you're finding that works. Definitely. I, um, I think it paints, pa paints a very realistic um, and, and rich picture of the location for people. Um, and it's exciting. Like, um, you know, when I recently launched the, um, a trip um, in, Nor in Norway for, uh, um, for next year, and it'll be the first time I'll run it in Norway. And I went on a scouting trip there, and the whole weekend I had so many many people going uh, interacting with me about like where where are you where and so when the when the launch happens you've already done so much communication around you're what's already special. sort of building the hype naturally exactly yeah yeah um, and that doesn't need the professional I mean I'm definitely no influencer or I'm not a professional photographer or anything so my stuff has an, an authentic veneer to it yeah. let's put it that way um, but I think people appreciate that because we can all see what a lodge shot looks like what a pro image of of a lodge looks like in the airbrushed room with the mood lighting and that sort of thing and okay that looks good but what does it tell you about the experience you're going to have when you're there yeah, right um and i think yeah. people are concerned with that and then the most powerful thing is word of mouth undeniably yeah so you just got to start and get going and build and build and stick with it i'm not going to pretend like this has been easy or it's just like oh i put out a retreat and oh, it's sold out yeah. no way i've had so, i've had so many moments where i've been like i can't go on like i can't do this anymore <laughs> it's so hard why won't anyone buy my retreat i've had moments so many moments like that um but somehow i wake up the next morning dry my eyes wake up the next morning and keep trying <laughs> yeah. and that is just any business right any yeah. business if somebody tells you running your own business or starting right. stuff is like that like yeah you if you're just, running any business you're going to be drying your eyes at some point exactly exactly <laughs> And just but I mean, choosing, that could be for any job and exactly. anything, right? You know? And just choosing to go on. Pick yourself up and keep going and keep yeah. building. And that's the word of mouth. Rock on. Yeah. Going. We're just high-fiving for that one. <laughs> firing me up over here, Nina. Um, that sounds... I mean, I think, uh, you know, going back to the community thing, I don't want people to get discouraged because I think a lot of people's minds go to... Oh, I don't have a hundred thousand Instagram followers. I don't. Or, yeah. Oh, I don't have you know an email list or whatever. But you know, communities all around us. It can be as simple as starting a meetup in your hometown or your city around like a certain topic, and then just growing a community right there where you live. Like it doesn't have to be. I yeah. I just want people to. 
I just kind of want to point that out because I feel like you can get discouraged. Yes, and when I say community, I absolutely don't mean yeah. Yeah, no, I was already like an egg in an Instagram celeb vibe. I mean, absolutely not. And your community could even be your coworkers, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're we're a bunch of corporate folks. We just want to. We all love hiking. Exactly. Figure something out. And I've got an office. I work for this yeah big corporate, and I've got an office of four hundred four hundred people, and at least twenty of them. I know, legitimate. I know that they've got the budget, mm-hmm. um, and I know when we all take leave. I pers- have their personal emails, and I know they like hiking. That's a community. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, you know, even though you're, you got the wet eyes sometimes and all the all the craziness, I and mean, you've been doing this for quite a long time, and uh, you're still rocking and rolling. Yeah, even through I mean, COVID. Gonna, yep, and we're yeah. going to be talking retreats after we get. We'll probably continue this conversation. I think we covered most of the sort of core things we wanted to cover on the retreat side of things, right? So tell me about your your philosophy of life. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but now you mentioned the PhD in philosophy, and I'm just curious, what did you take from studying philosophy? What did that yeah. give you? A love for ideas. So a love for how ideas form and how an idea is... like one contained little orb and the more you go into it the more you see the veins and connections and patterns and that that um, concept of seeing something from say above as a whole and diving in and seeing more and more and more complexity but then being able to zoom out and seeing simplicity and being able to recognize and articulate that simplicity that is a theme and pattern of across the board of nature of of the human body everything and that mirrors that and what i mean is if you if you have like um a, an image of a leaf from above and it's just like the leafy shape and green block of green and then you go in and you just see layer and layer and layer and layer of complexity and you recognize that and the deeper you go in the more immersive and like overwhelming it is and then you come out and you see the simplicity again and the practice of philosophy the 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 yeah practice of philosophy the school of philosophy is um the profession of philosophy is about being able to know the detail to immerse yourself to be overwhelmed to be in the detail but then to see the the um, overarching form in its simplicity and to articulate it in the most simple and concise way possible. I'm not a very concise person, I'm sure you've realized. Definitely err on the <laughs> on the on the uh, the tangent and the detail. But uh, and that's why philosophy was actually very difficult um, for me and why I stuck with it because it forces you towards simplicity, to essence. Yeah. And in that way it's also an art form, right? Because mm. art is like that too. Yeah. Right. This beauty and simplicity. Mathematics is like that as yeah. well. There's mm. a whole. There's a, you know 600 pages in an equation, and then you put it down into yeah. into four e or equals five. Equals mc squared. Yeah, I mean, go. it's yeah, essence is a great word. You know, we want to articulate using words the the ideas, concepts, things we see, but they can't always do it justice, right? Because it's still a finite thing. Words are still a finite thing. Our our ability to express them is still a finite thing. And sometimes, and, and some of them are constructs, right? A lot of it's like, you know, you hear about this in different cultures. It's like, well, in this culture, like this concept of beauty or what I'm I'm just throwing yeah, a random yeah, one out yeah. there, but 
And, and I wish these are the kind of things I wish I had at the top of my head, like these anecdotes where I could be like, well, in the Swahili, you know, or whatever, and like the Australian, I don't know. I don't have like an actual story, but I know that in some cultures, certain things aren't recognized as the same way they are in other cultures, or this adjective doesn't exist, or they have this thing that describes this thing. Yeah. And of course, that changes the. Um, thought process of the person that is within totally. that culture. So totally. there is no one universal reality, of course, but this, uh, this idea of articulating the world, interpreting it, sharing it. I mean, that's what makes people so interesting and unique, right? Because we all have these different backgrounds and we all unpack these things in different ways. And that's why I love these conversations so much. Yeah. And I've loved this one with you. Yeah. I've loved it too. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah. yeah, to your point um, about uh, different cultures and perspectives, I mean, an example, an okay, example, yeah, give me here's one, an example. Please. Save me, on save the, me here. On the west coast <laughs> of South Africa, there is a community there um, that, that for them, a sign of beauty is missing front teeth in women. There you go. Yeah. And it's really, it's a real sign of beauty. Yeah. Now, in in every other culture that I have come across globally, both indigenous or modern, you know, urbanized, like that in urban is areas, not, it's a sign of meth addiction. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's not. It's it, you know, it's a pretty unique sign sign of beauty yeah. or perception on beauty. Um, and so, when you encounter something like that, it's almost like to wrap your mind around, like, how could you possibly think that's beautiful? But it's so important to encounter those differences like that because it underscores the point that, our, that we have a veneer or perspective on reality. And that is actually more informative than the reality itself. And the reality itself is actually being crafted and written and created through that veneer moment yeah. to moment. Right. And that's so important also now these global, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the, the conflicts and the divide globally between um, conservative um, and, and um, populist views and, and liberal or leftist views and these, like in the U.S. and these schisms in society. And at base, what you have is two groups of people saying, but I don't get it. Why don't you see what I see? <laughs> you know, like it's not. It's, why do you value that? Why don't you see what I'm telling you is valuable? Um, and um, absolutely, that is just part of being human. Yeah. And if you grapple with it on a small um, or, or localized issue like missing front teeth, you can maybe better equip yourself to grapple with it when you're sitting across the table from someone on the other side of the political d divide um, and you're at loggerheads. Um, and yeah, at base level, what you're saying is actually the lens that you see reality through is fundamentally different than me. And so actually reality to you is fundamentally different. Yeah. But we have to try and find a middle. So we all ground. live in our own reality. We, yeah. Well, yeah, we, we, well, we coexist in reality, but we create a reality moment by moment that's, that's colored by our perceptions and beliefs um, and, and previous experiences. Mm. Some of this ties in with one thing I thought might be a loose end on the retreat side of things because we're all perceiving things in different ways, as you just described. Yet when you bring a group together, you still have to have some kind of a process for creating a container for transformation. And just wanted to hear some advice on that. Uh, right. So I would say the most... So the first, in, the first ingredient for that would be 
back to that mind-body experience. So you can't have transformation in yourself unless you're connecting with yourself. Yeah. So adding a, a giving people Some an opportunity to connect with themselves. Yeah. And yeah. It can well, be that could done be exercises. In, done in yeah. so many different ways. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Could be walks in nature. Yeah. In your case, yoga way. and other things, but it doesn't exactly. have to be. Yeah. Or like, right. yeah, exactly. There's so many different ways to achieve that. But that's got to be the foundation is yeah. enabling people to, to get to, to get into to their become bodies. embodied. Yes. And, and to have a, a, a flow of communication with themselves. Otherwise, it's not going to be authentic. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, you're either giving them ideas or they're, they they are not in touch with their their truth and yeah, well, yeah their process of right, transformation, right. so that would be the, absolutely the first thing, um, and then the second thing is creating an environment that feels safe. So going through transformation is a vulnerable thing, and a lot of us are not comfortable with with sharing that or showing vulnerability or showing sides of ourselves that we're working on or that are changing or that are new. Um, and so you have to create an environment where people feel safe and happy to be themselves. Um, and that doesn't happen on the first day. No. Yeah. Um, that happens over doing activities um, that are like fun and inclusive and in little ways affirming people. Yeah. Building the trust among the group. Absolutely. And, yeah. Okay. And it takes time. So I would never try to have like a, a tr transformative workshop or a, or a sharing, a deeper sharing session um, on the first day. Yeah. It's just yeah. impossible. Um, yeah. And then I think it's being, it, and so it's creating the, the mind body connect. It's creating the safety and then it's just having something that unlocks it. So you can't just be like, okay, everyone's safe and we're grounded and we're just going to sit in a circle now, you know? So you've got to have some kind of like goal or somewhere you want to take them, something that's going to unlock, that's going to give the impetus or the structure for it. And that could that can be many different things, um, um, and and you can link that to the theme of the workshop, to, uh, of the retreat, or the theme of the place that you're in. Sometimes I do that, like on the hiking and yoga trips, um, about the, uh, the 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 metaphor of a of a mountain and challenges, um, and uh, you know having um, goals or. Um, things we're working for which would be the peak versus going into the mountain and seeing all of the detail and the beauty and the journey on the way whatever there's you choose something that's like a metaphor or container that helps guide the process and then people will bring their own thing yeah they will always bring this they will they will take what you said the metaphor of the mountain mm -hmm. and make it work for them yeah and there's got to be the space for them to do that okay you're an artist when you're putting these things together, there's a lot going on. And, uh, well, it's, yeah, that's very <laughs> kind of you to say. <laughs> I, I am, yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell that. And I appreciate that about you. I'm um, thank you for sharing your passion for all of this with us. And just, I'm so glad we're connected because I'm really vibing with you. And uh, I had a great, great time chatting with you and we will, uh, we will snap a selfie after this. So when we can post it up with the show notes, so you guys can see where we were sitting and, and what, what this whole scene looked like, uh, which you may have heard of the busy street. Sorry about that. Things got crazy a couple of times. Do you want to share before we let you out of here one more time, just kind of any last words of wisdom, uh, you know, maybe where people can find you if they want to connect and that sort of thing, anything at all here. 
Okay, wow. This is the first I'm really put on the put on the spot. Well, sorry. Put on the yeah. spot now. Don't don't take it too, you know. Too seriously. Exactly. <laughs> um, so people can find me on my website which is inretreat.co um, and um, in and in retreat on just search for in retreat on Instagram. Um, and let's connect and share our journeys. Yeah, very nice. Can we high five it out one more time? Thank yeah. you so much. Thank Way you. to rock the mic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Take care. Cheers. There you go. Thank you to Nina Butler for stopping by the show, meeting up in person to do that. What a great time we had. And I love that she lives right here in Oslo where I'm based. Check out her company inretreat.co if you want to learn more about some of the stuff she's doing over there. At the top, I mentioned this trivia question. How many schools of philosophy are there? Okay, this is according to Wikipedia, which had a page with a list of schools of philosophy. So I dropped them into a spreadsheet, and it turns out, as of right now at least, there are 193, according to this page. Probably more, probably less, if you look at different resources. 193 also... You may recognize that number, the number of United Nations member states, 193. So there's the travel serendipity there. Okay. I will let you rock on with your day. I wonder, did this show inspire you today? You thinking about crafting a retreat for yourself, perhaps for others? It's a fun thing to do. I've been on retreats. I have been in those situations where I've traveled to to have some kind of transformation. And, you know, I think the trick is to go in with an open mind and not put too much pressure on that transformation. Just let let it come organically. That's how I'll wrap this up. The the lessons that come from travel, I think they they have to just flow freely to us and we need a little time afterwards to process them. And even from my last retreat, which you might have heard on this podcast, I, I still am processing those lessons. So it's a never-ending thing. Let's just all enjoy the journey. Speaking of enjoying the journey, I'll leave you with a quote. Is it going to be about enjoying the journey? I don't know, because I'm pulling it out of the quote drawer, and I, you never know what you're going to get. Oh, okay. This one's from Yoga Bhajan, who said, Body is not all. Mind is not all. Spirit is not all. All three make sense. That was quite serendipitous right there, pulling that one out to wrap this one up. Perfect. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Peace and love to you and yours. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.